So first of all, introduce us to the two of you. Uh, I am Matt. And Haley. (laughs) Uh, And we are... Married and parents. We have two earthly children and one heavenly child. Give us, uh, you mentioned heavenly child. Give us the date that's frozen in time for you. For me, it'd be October 20th at 4.30 a.m. when our son was stillborn. I would say October 20th as well. It's a, a day I won't forget, and I remember each second of everything that happened that day. So from the beginning, probably from 12 weeks on or so, uh, Haley was diagnosed with a subchorionic hemorrhage. Um, basically, uh, she was heavily bleeding throughout her pregnancy. Uh, we're in the emergency room a couple of times. Baby was fine. This is something that can resolve itself over time. Uh, on October 18th, 19th, uh, we found herself in the emergency room with uh, Haley was in a lot of pain. Her uh, placenta fully abrupted, and then we delivered Fletcher on the 20th. How, how are your emotions? What were you feeling, Haley, uh, throughout this time? You did a wonderful job of explaining in the, in the article, but give us your perspective as well. Oh, well, at the time I was working full-time, and we already had um, a son who was one. And so it's emotionally exhausting to be working and taking care of a child and then to physically feel so terrible for so long ended up going on bed rest for close to eight weeks. So until we had Fletcher, and during that time, Matt was sole caretaker of our household and our food and taking care, taking my son to and from childcare. I couldn't even take care of my son. So being home alone in that season, I don't know people who haven't been through that. I think it was incredibly lonely and you feel helpless and there's nothing that you can do to solve the problem or really even help yourself. Your only job is to take care of yourself and that's a full-time job. And I never realized like how incredibly emotional that can be for the the entire family. In, In some of the reading, I'm noticing that there seems to be a difference between how the medical world is treating your symptoms and how you yourself are feeling about your symptoms Uh, Those don't seem to jive all the time. Right. Did you experience any of that as well? I think we, you know, something happens that's traumatic to your body and your first instinct is, I'm going to go to the emergency room. You know, the emergency room versus maternity, totally different, totally different. So somebody's just looking at very straightforward, very um, kind of cutthroat, if you will, answers where in maternity they know that they're dealing with moms and life and have a little bit more maybe empathy towards that. So I think our, where we were at in the emergency room, we had had all of these visits and it became just very cold and you're seeing somebody different because it's not somebody you would normally see anyways. So it became like very detached, um, not a lot of answers. So that was incredibly hard. And then I think eventually I got to a point where I said, Hey, I need to see an OBGYN I cannot function at work. Like, I physically cannot do my job anymore. I can't emotionally deal with my job. And what I'm going through right now, like, this is not a good space for me to be in right now. Taking care of myself is a full-time job. And I was leaving multiple times a week for ultrasounds and 
I kind of felt like I, I was already letting work down. So I was like, honestly, they're probably better off without me. So I think I just had to like speak up and say that, which they wouldn't, they're like, oh, well, you can kind of keep trekking along. But I knew in my soul, like I could not keep going at the rate I was going and feel comfortable. Like I've done everything I could do to save this life inside of me. And so I didn't want to wear myself out and then regret had I not been working, could that have prevented, you know, anything? Because my job at the time was very physical. What about in your workplace? How were the emotions within your workplace? How were they responding to your needs? I felt uh, incredibly supported by not only, I don't have the opportunity, at the time I didn't have the opportunity to work with my direct supervisor, um, just where I work and what we do, but I felt incredibly supported by the people within my building. I think it helps when there are people who have gone before you in life and are a little bit older and they can realize life's more than this. Um, you're more than your job. Like This is going to impact you for the rest of your life. Go do what you need to do. Um, I felt the same from my boss and fast forward, you know, months, months later when we had Fletcher, they, a bunch of them came to my home and sat with me and played with my kid and brought us dinner and they were so gracious to actually grant me maternity leave since I did deliver Fletcher. So I had six weeks paid where I could just heal and take care of myself and my family and spend that time. And I think that was one of the, I look back on like, although a very tough season, a very sweet season that I had to just focus on that. So that was like a true gift and I felt very supported in that. And can you let us know how far along were you with Fletcher? We delivered Fletcher right at 20 weeks right to the day. 20 weeks. Yep, 20, right at 20 weeks. 20 weeks to the day. Yep. As far as work goes, whether it was leaving for an appointment or having to leave early, my direct leader at the time was very supportive of whatever I needed. If I needed to show up late, leave early, uh, whatever it was, they were there to support me, which was great. Uh, as far as after we had Fletcher, uh, I did get, I can't remember, is one, two weeks time off the standard time for when you have a baby. Uh, if I remember correctly, they sent a card or sent flowers. Uh, so they were very supportive of what happened. In the uh, article, there was some mention of one particular staff member that was not all that great to work with. And, I, and I'm sure many of us experience this. And I'm glad you talked about the emergency room feel. But this one individual, what was it about your interactions with that one staff that just rubbed you the wrong way? I So I had made probably four or five trips because I remember getting a, a letter in the mail that said, hey, like your insurance is not going to cover any more trips to the emergency room. So we had like already reached our max. And so it kind of puts you on edge. Like, do we really need to go? Is this the time? So I remember making that trip after we got that letter and, you know, the way he approached me was like I was overreacting to the situation and he was very abrupt. Like it's, you know, the middle of fall. It's very cold in central Iowa. I like I'm shaking. I'm so cold. Like just never offered even a blanket or um, is there anything I can get you? Just very cold. And he was on staff the night that we went in for our hospital stay where we delivered Fletcher. He was the person in the emergency room, and I just said, I'm not doing this with him. I want to go to maternity. I want to go to the maternity floor. I don't want anything to do with him. And as a patient, like, that is my right. 
and I can say, I don't, I don't want to work with you. Not that he did was anything, you know, illegal or wrong. I just am, I kind of knew where my head was at emotionally and I just had no space to deal with him. <laughs> so I just didn't want to, if I was going to go through the worst days of my life, like I did not want him to be a part of that. They were very quick to be like, well, you're only 19, you know, you're only 19 weeks and five days. And they did call up there and they said, yeah, we'll take her. So you, they usually wouldn't let you up there until you were past 20 weeks. And I said, I, that's where I want to be. So put me up there. Yeah, the staff in the delivery maternity area, the word I'd probably use is they're a lot more gentle mm-hmm. uh, compared to that individual. Uh, just they're a lot better with dealing with moms and the emotions and babies and they're just a lot more gentle of people than the current on-call doctor in the emergency room at seven o'clock at night on a Tuesday or whatever day it was. There's ranges of emotions that you go through, especially the uh, the guilt, the self-blame, the, the hurt, the anger. Can you walk us through some of those emotions that you had felt and, and how you were able to uh, ground yourself? The the emotions are all over the place all the time, even today, two years later. There's days where, you know, I remember about a month ago sitting on the deck uh, after mowing the yard with my son. And I'm like, you know, if he was alive, he'd be out there mowing with me or thinking about the memories and things that would have happened or could happen. And it's very hard to um, process that those memories are never going to exist. Uh, you know, in the moment, I think I wasn't emotional at all about it. Uh, I remember talking to Haley. I was on the phone talking to work. Maybe I should just go back to work tomorrow because I'm not good at dealing with emotions. It takes me a very long time to realize what's happening. My immediate concern was how can I best support my wife? She's like, well, if you feel like you need to go to work, that's fine, but I need you here for me. I remember that exact conversation that we had. And I would say... I'm not as good at processing it. Haley's more in the moment, process the emotions where I'll be more processing it through or for the rest of my life. Um, I wouldn't say I felt peace right away. Obviously, it's like very traumatic and you think about all the things that could be. But I think the things that most made me angry were things that people would say. And they would say it in a very, obviously they mean well, like these are people that I love and are very close to us. And they'd say things like, at least you have your son. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, at least I have my son. Like one life does not replace another life. But in the moment you just like, okay, thank you know, thanks. I think those are the things that made me not feel, feel at peace with myself or with the situation. And I think you. I had to constantly look to Matt, look to my family, like go to faith and say, okay, like if this is what I believe, whether this feels good, like I do know that like it's used for a greater good. I don't see that and I probably never will. But part of my faith is whatever is going to bring God the most glory. I'm not going to see that right now. So that just gives me a lot of peace that it's not for me to understand. And life wasn't meant to be this way. So whatever I'm feeling, it's okay because I wasn't even made to deal with this pain. Like, we're human. So I think that just gave me a lot of freedom. Like, if I felt guilty, like, I felt guilty. And part of it is I felt some relief because I was in so much pain for so long. So to just not have the physical pain, I did feel a piece of, I physically feel better, which alleviates 
part of my burden, but I'm still grieving so much. So you kind of feel guilty on that end. But I think looking back at it in the moment, I didn't see, oh, these people are meaning well, because I'm like, how could you say that? But a lot of people feel very uncomfortable in situations of loss and grief, and they don't know what to say. And I think instead of not saying anything at all or educating themselves, they just kind of say whatever feels right in the moment, but can kind of be scarring. So I think that was the thing I felt most unsettled about with my grief and what I felt. When you talk about trying to educate yourselves on this topic, did you have any knowledge of this topic before you were experiencing it firsthand? No, not at all. Uh, As far as I'm aware, nobody close to me has ever uh, miscarried, stillbirth. So no, nothing. So when, when this experience is so very new and fresh for the two of you, what resources or what uh, outreach did you do to seek that support out? Did you Were you able to find any sites or books that really helped to influence the way you were able to, to grieve? We were sent books. People bought us books, which were very helpful. But as far as like human contact, not a lot. And the more I talked to people, they had experienced the same thing. People that I'd known for years and I had no idea that this is what they'd gone through. And it was crazy to me because why are we not, why don't we have community in this when this is so prevalent and it's one in every four women go through a miscarriage or stillbirth. Like this is insane to me that there's nothing that really supports this or can help through this grieving process in months Um, After we had Fletcher, this sweet woman at my church who has experienced countless miscarriages started a group for infertility and loss. And every week we had more people coming. People were inviting their neighbors. People were inviting, like, people from their family. And it was not, obviously you don't want people to go through that, but it was good to see the community that it could build. Because these are the only people that you have who's gone through something like you have. And so you want to be with like-minded people and people who have experienced the same trauma to validate the season of life that you're going through. And you're not going to find that people that haven't gone through that. So it was not really until that group started where I'm like, everything that I feel or I think or even things in our marriages or how I deal with my kids or it was a long time where I could even leave my son and feel okay leaving him because I was so, you know, worried about, well, what if something happens? Because now this is all that I have. Like, what if we never have another kid and this this is our only child and I'm going to put everything into protecting him? All that was just validated by people who've been through that. Like, that's a normal thing to feel. Like, you have to control everything. I'm like, okay, well, now I know that that's normal and I can work through that now. And I can ask people, how did you get through this? Or... What are like little things you did to help you deal with these things so you could give up control? Not until that group formed like through my church did I really feel supported or not alone. Although people were around us and visiting us and coming to our house, it's just, it's not the same. People have no idea what to say. Uh, And for whatever reason, our culture is very quiet about miscarriage and stillbirth. It's not a bad thing. It's not like you did something wrong just for whatever reason your body couldn't carry that baby to term it's very interesting and i don't know why it's this way and i hope it doesn't remain this way but people don't talk about it they like to brush it under the rug and pretend it didn't exist 
but back to people not knowing what to say. I have one friend that doesn't live close by, but every time I see him, he's like, how are you doing with Fletcher? And he is the only person, only one of my friends that has ever asked me that question. So people don't know what to say, so they just say nothing. But I appreciate that. He's still my son, he's still important. Uh, but it's just very crazy to me that only one person, since it's happened consistently, is, is asking me about him. And it's appreciated. So you had mentioned that you do have two children here. Describe to us the, the process of making the decision to, to try again, the emotions that were attached to that, and the joy of this, this baby. So we always wanted multiple kids. When we first got married, we were talking three, four, maybe on the high end, five kids. Obviously, I had Hudson. Hudson is our firstborn, perfect pregnancy. Not a single thing was wrong from beginning to end. It was great. Uh, then we uh, delivered Fletcher at 20 weeks, visited with the doctor after the doctor said, you guys should wait a little bit, uh, but there's no reason that should happen again. There's no reason you guys shouldn't be able to have a full-term pregnancy or next pregnancy. That was very encouraging. We knew right away we would want to have kids again. We just, of course, needed to wait, A, medically, and B, to make sure we're mentally ready. Started trying to have kids again uh, pretty shortly after we were cleared medically. Got pregnant right away. Everything, for the most part, was okay. Uh, we did have a little, kind of two little hiccups in the pregnancy. Um, hindsight everything obviously turned out fine. She was born very healthy. Um, at the beginning, Haley did have some bleeding. We went in for our first ultrasound. The ultrasound tech, let me back up. The ultrasound techs aren't supposed to reveal any information. Everyone always asks them, what's going on? What's this? What's that? Don't do that. Wait for your doctor. The ultrasound tech said, oh, it's just a subchorionic hemorrhage, which is how we lost Fletcher. But don't worry, it goes away and it heals itself up. She walked out of the room, I looked over at Haley, and Haley just started crying her eyes out. That ultrasound tech thought she was doing us a favor, calming us, saying, oh, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it, your doctor will tell you more. Uh, but she didn't realize, obviously, what her, what her history was. Shortly after that, started bleeding, it was nothing ever too significant. Um, so, thank God, it was never an issue. Probably around 20 weeks, 18 weeks, somewhere in there, uh, we went in and saw a specialist just from our previous pregnancy, wanted to make sure everything was going okay. And then they determined that her cervix was too short, but they wanted to check it again a few days later. Maybe she was nervous or tense. We ended up going on vacation that weekend, came back that next Monday. She went in and it was still too short. Uh, so put her on medicine for that. And then for the next 14 weeks or so was taking that medicine, her cervix increased in size, um, just about back to where it would normally be. And then delivered her at 36 weeks. 37 weeks. 37 weeks. A perfect, healthy baby. Uh, small, but all of our kids are small, not medically concerning small. Mm -hmm. But it was definitely a lot of emotions through the pregnancy. Very high highs, very low lows. Haley was on bed rest for the last eight weeks, ten weeks, just as a precautionary with her history, wanted to take every precaution. When we found out the thing about the cervix and the bleeding, it was it was a low moment because your mind instantly goes to, is this going to happen again? Why can't we have a healthy baby? And it was something unrelated to the problem before. So it was like, oh, this is something new now that we have to worry about. 
and my mom came and stayed with us for four weeks while I was literally could not do anything. You know, I said, oh, mom, you don't, you know, you don't have to come. And she's like, I'm not gonna, I have to be there. She's like, I have to be there to support you, which really did carry us through a really just intense time emotionally. For me, it's easy to get down and be like, and here we are again. Like this really, um, this really stinks. But she, she did awesome. Like she kept me very motivated and encouraged and was able to help with my son and things like that. So having that support kind of, I think just, she's like, well, I'm not going to let you be alone in this again, was so comforting just to have someone physically there. Like when Matt was at work. Yeah. Haley, from your perspective, what was your immediate reaction from, from your perspective when you heard that from the tech? Yeah. So I actually, when we had Fletcher, the doctor who delivered him wrote her personal cell phone note on a card and she said, you let me know if you need anything. So when we found out we were pregnant with now our, our daughter, I found out and they said, well, we can't get you in for six more weeks. And I said, I got to get in like today. I'm like, I need to know. I need to know there's a heartbeat. Like I cannot live in this for six weeks. So I texted her. And we already knew you were bleeding at this time. Yeah. And I was already minor. Right. So I said, I just, I can't wait. So I texted her and she said, I'll get you in next week. And so I was like, great. Thank you so much. So we drove in. So I felt very taken care of by the people there and how personable they were. And she was so affirming to us. And she was great through our whole, we saw her throughout our whole pregnancy there. And so I was really upset that the tech had no idea of my history because everybody else there knew, even people like the nurse that would come in to do all this stuff before the doctor, they were like, you know, I, I see that. Like, I'm so sorry about that. Like, I, this is just going to be just fine. Like, we're going to take good care of you. They were so affirming through all of that. So then to have the text say like, oh, it's just this. I'm like, you have no idea what you're saying to me right now. And I think you just have to forgive people for that because they think that they're like, it's no big deal. Like, oh, this is the biggest deal to me. So I think it's, it was something that I, the doctor rocked back in and was like, it's okay. Like, she shouldn't have said that. So I think just hearing somebody say, like, she shouldn't have said that, I was like, thank thank you for realizing, like, that was not, she should not have said that to us. Like, that's not comforting. <laughs> this is kind of why you shouldn't say anything at all, probably. Um, if you don't know the history, don't say anything at all. But I think just hearing, like, I'm, she shouldn't have said that. Like, that's, just to hear that was, like, I'm not crazy. That's upsetting. So... We never had that experience again where people didn't know. Um, And we ended up seeing a perinatal specialist throughout the last part of our pregnancy where I had to go in every week. Yeah, probably from 20 to 34 weeks. Yeah. 32 weeks. Yeah, specialist weeks. And she was amazing. And that staff deals with very complicated you know, high-risk pregnancies where I think when you just walk into, like, maybe a regular OB, they're not, they don't understand or they've seen things but haven't dealt with it themselves. But it was, it was incredibly, it was incredibly upsetting. (laughs) I can only imagine. My goodness. Matt, I appreciate you mentioning that, that even, even now you still have those thoughts of, you know, my little Fletcher could be here Mm -hmm. mowing the lawn with me. Uh, having fun and and Haley 
the uh, overwhelming connection you had to your oldest uh, after Fletcher, did you notice any changes in your behavior with your little girl after she was born? Were there any changes in how you, how strongly you felt connected to her or um, any words of encouragement you would have for an individual that, that's moving through that process to have another child? You know, as far as connecting when they're born, uh, I have always had trouble connecting with our kids when they're first born. They don't need me for anything. Not that I don't love them or want them. Uh, I definitely do. But as far as appreciating that you have that gift from God is is all I would say. It's so sweet to have um, a baby. I'm so glad to be able to have you know three kids, two that I can hold every day, one in heaven watching over us. It's it's so sweet to have those kids, and it's so important to love them because you never know when that could be taken away. You could take the best care of your kids, and something crazy can happen, and, and you don't have them anymore. It's just so important to enjoy that time with them and love them so well. I think it too. In our society, we're always looking like for the next stage. Like, I can't wait till my kid can walk. I can't wait till my kid can go to preschool. I can't wait till my kid can pour their own bowl of cereal in the morning. You know, whatever it is, you're always looking to the next season. And I think it has really taught us the seasons don't get easier. They're just different. And to just enjoy where your kids are at because it is so, it's so quick. And I don't want to like wish these seasons away. So I think it has always kind of painted that picture for us. Like even now our daughter's not crawling and everybody's like, oh, she should be crawling. I'm like, it's fine. Like, it's totally fine. I think the things that you just normally worry about, we're just not worried about. We're like, they're healthy. They're here. Like, it, it's okay. So I think it kind of just keeps things in perspective for us quite a bit. What is your uh, lasting hopeful message to individuals that will be listening right now facing tomorrow without their loving child? If I had to say one thing, I would just say that that's still your baby. Uh, just because they weren't born awake or alive doesn't mean that they're not a legitimate child of yours. And it's okay to mourn and love that baby and talk about that baby. You don't have to pretend they don't exist, even though our culture, for whatever reason, feels that way about um, babies that we can't deliver to term, can't deliver alive. Uh, so that is still your son, that is still your daughter. Their life still matters, whether it's a six-week baby or a 36-week stillborn baby? I would say there is life after loss, but grief is a part of life. And so I think you're never really done grieving, and that loss is always a part um, of your life, but there is like joy to be found in a different season of life. Um, and I think for us, having our daughter was very redeeming. Like, I can do this. My body can do this. Good things can happen. Not everything is tainted for us. I think that was very redeeming, but that doesn't always happen for everyone. And there still can be joy found in other purposes that life has for you. And it may not be that, but if it's your job or helping others or taking, you know, your heartache and being able even to relate to someone else, like that's purpose. Like that's a purpose for the, you know, sorrow that you went through. 
So I think that there's always something you can use from that season to better like other people. Beautifully said and good uh, transition to the next topic because speaking of purpose, out of this, out of the loss of Fletcher comes the Fletcher Foundation. Tell us a little bit about what this Fletcher Foundation does and what the purpose of the Fletcher Foundation is. I remember sitting at our table at our previous house and we really wanted to make his life mean something and I remember getting the hospital bill and it was uh, the total bill is $5,500 after insurance. And I looked at Haley and said, this is more than our hospital bill for Hudson. Uh, it was straightforward delivery, no drugs. It, we weren't expecting it to be that much, but it was more than our bill for Hudson. And I looked at Haley and I said, we should start a foundation to help people pay for their hospital bills when they can't bring their baby home. Fortunately, we were in a position where we could pay the bill at the time, but not everyone can. And it's, you hear it all the time. It's very popular in the culture to complain about cost of delivering a baby. It is very expensive. And it's such a, it's such a stab in the heart when you get that bill in the mail and you don't have your baby to show for it. You know, at least if I had a $5,500 bill, I had a blessing sitting on the couch or uh, that I could snuggle up to, to, to make it at least a little bit better. Right. So that's where we started the Fletcher Foundation. I thought it was going to be easy. I thought it was going to be something that Haley and I could just kind of do together here and there. Uh, but looking, <laughs> at, looking at different uh, nonprofit requirements in the state of Iowa and federal tax exemption, it became a lot more work than I would have ever anticipated. I don't know if looking back on it, if I knew how much work it was, if I would have still started it, but I'm glad I did. We had to get nonprofit in the state of Iowa. We had to file for 501c3. We have to do tax returns. We had to create a website, learn some website design. I don't know any website design. I uh, had to surround myself with a board, write bylaws, uh, open bank accounts, all these different things that I didn't think of. Like, okay, we'll just fundraise here and there, send some people checks, it'll be a piece of cake. I think too, you're just kind of feel like we've made it through the worst days of our lives. Like what, like we can do anything. Like if we can survive this, like we can do anything. And that's exactly the mentality we have. Like, oh, we'll just figure it out. And we're like, ah, <laughs> this is, this is a lot more than we anticipated, but yeah. <laughs> so Fletcher Foundation, uh, we're in our second year of existence now. We've got money. We're sending out a couple of checks this week to people that have applied through a website uh, to help alleviate some of their bills that they've received. One of the individuals uh, has had multiple miscarriages. Another one had a stillbirth recently. Uh, so those people just apply on our website. This is what's going on. Here's a copy of my bill. Can you help us? We review it as a team and then we help out as, as much as we're able to. So it's, a, in my opinion, a, a good cause. Uh, I don't even... As far as I'm concerned, I don't care if they can or can't pay the bill, if they have the money or not. I don't want people to have to pay that bill because you shouldn't have to pay a bill for a kid you couldn't take home. And then on the emotional side of it, we kind of walked them through their first year of loss because a lot of people that apply, it's very recent for them. So um, we have a person who makes an ornament and donates that um so for their first christmas without their child so they have that to put on their christmas tree and we 
um, on Mother's Day, we send them flowers because they're still a mom and they're not going to get a gift from, you know, their child. And we send, you know, books and resources and stuff, you know, dealing with that if you have kids and your kids have now suffered a loss of a brother or sister. So we try to equip them with resources to kind of go through that first year, things that were helpful to us uh, that first year of a loss and kind of check in on them, those milestones, their due date, um, their child's birthday, Mother's Day, Father's Day, all of those things to just kind of come around them in that sense of community, whether we know them or not. Like we know the most, probably one of the most intimate stories they'll ever have. So that instantly kind of bonds us. Like we're going to walk through this with you. We're going to create this sense of community. Like, yes, we want to alleviate financial burden, but we also want to make sure like as a human being like you're being taken care of yeah so from the feelings of not having any community when your first experience had happened to now creating community out of your experience i think that's that's very moving uh we have calls to action we're hoping for from listeners what is your call to action regarding the fletcher foundation what would you like people to do if you know someone that's gone through miscarriage or stillbirth either apply on their behalf on our website or you can send them to our website to apply. Uh, all their information is kept confidential. Uh, we have money to help people. Uh, so if they have a hospital bill from a miscarriage or stillbirth, we wanna help them out. Other than that, just on the topic of miscarriage or stillbirth, when people you know are going through that, just be there for them. Uh, you might not know what to say, but just say something. Just let them know that you're there for them. Show up at their house hang out with them for dinner, watch a show with them, uh, take them out for coffee, whatever that is. I think Matt and I used to talk about, we appreciated most when people just did, because people will say, well, let us know if you need anything. Well, that person has no idea what they need. Like, I have no idea what I need right now, because I can't even tell you, I can't even process what I'm feeling. So people, like, one of my very good friends just, she said, I'm coming to your house tomorrow, and she lives in Kansas City, and she drove to my house just to bring me to my favorite restaurant. She's like, I'm just going to take you out for lunch and we're just going to bop around town and we're just going to have coffee. I'm just going to hang out with you because you really don't know what you need. So I think the people who just did, hey, we're going to take your son for two hours and um, take a nap. Um, I'm like, oh, I really did need a nap, but I didn't even know that's what I needed. So I think the people who just did and didn't, make me think about what I needed that was so alleviating to me and then I think there were people who were very equipped or were able to find you know resources and I've written for our blog like here are ways to support here are things to say that are helpful um so I think there were those people in our lives who they didn't go through that but they were able to find good resources for themselves um, so that they knew how to like minister to us in that season. So that is probably one of the biggest things I can suggest to support. And so a couple of things as, as we leave. One, uh, if there are funders that would be willing to support the Fletcher Foundation, how could they get a hold of you? The FletcherFoundation.net is our website. Uh, if you have questions about donating, want to know any information before you donate, uh, you can contact us through there. Uh, you can email me directly, matt at thefletcherfoundation.net. 
Otherwise, on our website, there's a button that says donate. You can just follow that through. You can set up a reoccurring donation, one-time donation. Nobody on our board, nobody on our staff takes any salary. All of our money goes towards our expenses for things like our website, operational costs, and then all the money goes right to people's bills. The more money we have, the more we can pay of their bill. Is there other ways in which individuals can uh, read more about the Fletcher Foundation? Do you have social media channels or any other ways that individuals can reach out? Yep, we're also on Facebook. Uh, so you can search the Fletcher Foundation. It's facebook.com slash the, the Fletcher Foundation. Uh, we post on there regularly a couple times a week, different topics, uh, dealing with miscarriage, what to say to people that have gone through miscarriage, different resources about miscarriage. Uh, you can contact us through there as well. It's, uh, it looked like there were some personal stories as well within the blog on the Fletcher Foundation website, correct? Correct. So we have had people, we've had clients of ours write for the blog and we've also just had people who since creating the Fletcher Foundation and hearing our story say I had a miscarriage 10 years ago and it'd be so therapeutic for me to write for your blog so no matter where they are at in their journey like we we welcome that we have a lot of like even you know grandmothers who say I am struggling with not having my you know grandson that I'm supposed to have and so wherever they're at like that's a great place for them um, and we're always looking for people to share different sides of miscarriage and stillbirth um, because that is still very relevant to the whole family so we try to give a voice to whoever it is that is still like grieving in that or can share kind of their experience from what they went through yeah if you want a channel you want to share your story, send us a message and uh, send us your blog. We'll absolutely put it on our website. I feel like, you know, we've talked about the culture and how such it's such a quiet thing. I don't know if that'll ever change, but on our website, miscarrying or stillbirth, we're not going to be quiet about it. It happens. It is a normal thing. You shouldn't be shamed for it. So it's a good outlet for people to share their stories, talk about what happened. Matt and Haley. Thank you very much for being willing to share your story. Thank you. Thank you for creating community through the Fletcher Foundation. And uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for having us. Thank you.